and happy Wednesday. Welcome back to another episode of the Vocal Vault Podcast. I'm your host, Emily Johnson, and I created this podcast as a way to create a safe space to hold open, honest, and vulnerable conversations. First off, I just want to say thank you all for being so supportive in me taking a week off of the podcast. Um, You know, it was a holiday weekend. I hope that you all had an amazing Thanksgiving with your family and friends. Mine was pretty good. You know, there was definitely um, some change in plans as COVID has hit some of my family members. And, um, you know, so I wasn't able to like be with my parents or, um, you know, some other family members this Thanksgiving. So that was definitely a bummer, but I still had an amazing time. Um, My brother Ben put together a kick-ass spread. Um, So that was, you know, I'm so glad I got to just even be with family at all on Thanksgiving this year because last year, um, you know, we just stayed home and, um, yeah, I wasn't able to see my family on Thanksgiving at all last year. And I, you know... It kind of brought me to a point where I needed to do some self-reflection um, with how bummed I was when I knew my parents weren't going to be able to be there on Thursday. Um, I had to kind of think about, you know, the people that weren't even able to celebrate Thanksgiving at all or the people who um, are homeless and were outside on that cold day and didn't have any food and things like that. So I definitely did some reflection and realized that I am very lucky. And, um, you know, I am grateful that I was able to just even spend any time with family. And anyways, I think it's easy to, um, you know, get really excited for the plans that you have for the holidays. And, you know, especially in the world we're living right now with COVID and everything, sometimes things don't go as planned. And, Um, yeah, that definitely kind of woke me up a little bit on Thursday morning, but I do have to, you know, kind of take a step back and realize how thankful I am for the things that I do have. And even if I wasn't able to spend that day with the people I'm thankful for, I was still able to, you know, make the most out of it with my brother and his family. And it ended up, you know, all in all being a really good day. Um, so I hope that you guys all got to, you know, eat some turkey, get that stuffing, mashed potatoes, all the goodies. My leftovers are already gone. Um, I have to say they were gone within like 24 hours. So, (laughs) Uh, but that's typically the case over here. My dad always makes a hash um, the morning after Thanksgiving. And um, yeah, that's always like the best way to eat the leftovers. Speaking of my dad, um, he is the guest that we have on for today's episode. I had such a great time sitting down with my dad just about a week ago and, you know, we kind of talked about his life growing up and how music kind of shaped um, his childhood and as he got older and, you know, kind of what things looked like for him as he um, entered the business world and when he got sick just a few years ago and, um, you know, kind of how that gave him a newfound perspective on Um, medicine and hospitals and all of that. So it is a really interesting conversation to listen to. So I hope you guys enjoy. Um, You know, he shares some uh, crazy dreams that he had when he was in the hospital and, 
you know, a lot of times like medications or just even, you know, when you're sick and you're in the same place for so long away from your family, it can definitely start to mess with your head. And he shares a little bit about that too. So I really hope you guys enjoy this episode with my dad. Um, I had a great time sitting down and recording with him. And I know that these episodes with my mom and my dad, I'm going to have and be able to cherish forever. And I'm, I'm just grateful that you know, we were even able to record an episode together. Um, and I'll definitely hold on to that. So I hope you guys enjoy. Andy, let's open the vault. It's been really enlightening. I think that what you're focusing on is uh, very helpful for a lot of people and uh, myself included. And I think that, uh, my format would be a little more helter-skelter, uh, probably focusing on people more in the uh, entertainment industry, but I'm also recently uh, very interested in the medical community and uh, things that are going on there as well. So I think that uh, I've learned more about science in the last 14, 15 years of my life than I thought I'd ever know, uh, but my life and passion and love as far as vocation and trade is definitely music so i think i'd be more piqued as far as my own curiosity if i were to kind of stay within those realms yeah i could see you doing that too because it is kind of true it's like i feel like there's you know just growing up with you like i feel like the first half growing up was like all music and you know we had the room we're in right now was your original recording studio in the house, right? It was. Uh, yeah, I had a small half-inch eight-track studio. And uh, then uh, it <laughs> we had, a, believe it or not, a baby grand piano in here. And <laughs> I locked myself in this room, which is not more than 14 feet by 10 feet. And... Uh, wrote an entire CD in 30 days and recorded it, just piano and vocals. And uh, that was very close to, I think I think uh, your mother was probably seven or eight months pregnant when I started that project. So we finished it, uh, got the CD wrapped up and uh, moved the piano out and moved the crib in. And it was your room for... <laughs> 20 years, I suppose. Then came me. <laughs> there, you sure did. And turned it all baby pink and baby blue. And <laughs> then, yeah. And then we painted it. and <laughs> yeah. yeah. And then your recording studio moved to our basement, which there was way more room down there. Yeah, except the ceilings are a little restrictive down there. Yeah, I do remember, too, <clears throat> when I was younger, um, always, because you had your recording studio down there and you had a production business right flippo records for a little bit yeah yeah and i remember you'd have people over and it was always like all right you gotta you gotta tiptoe around when they're recording it was always like you gotta be quiet a lot of the musicians that i recorded back then had day gigs so we did a lot of the work after six after supper a lot of times you know it was unfair to you guys because well, for example, your bedroom was right above the studio and we'd have drummers over and, and horn sections and people screaming and yelling and singing. 
Uh, I would always worry about you guys being able to sleep, but couldn't have been too bad. Uh, I think you did definitely grow up with a drum beat in your head, though, li literally. <laughs> I think so, too, which was a cool way to grow up. Not a lot of people get to grow up in that way. And um, it's so funny to me because it's so normalized where that was my life growing up, music, music, everything. And coming from such a musical family and um, you have been so musical. And I know Grandma and Grandpa and um, Grandpa Lauren and Grandma Sandy were musical, too. Is that kind of where it stemmed from for you? Uh, yeah, I started singing in church, just like you did. My mom was uh, the children's choir director at, at uh, our small Lutheran church in Lakota, North Dakota, population about a thousand at that time. Oh, I didn't know she was a choir director. Yeah. Cool. So she had the kids' choir, and, and uh, yeah, well, there she had two choirs. The cherub choir, which was the little fellas and the small misses, and then uh, the chair, the cherub choir, and the junior Lutherans. <laughs> and the junior Lutherans were, I think, uh, fourth through eighth or ninth grade. It's a good name for a band, junior, the junior Lutherans. Lutherans. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I'd be a senior Lutheran now. Yeah. <laughs> so my uh, great grandmother Gudrun, who was a renowned school teacher in Iceland, especially for young ladies' education. She was way ahead of her time uh, and was accepted into uh, some elite schools uh, with grants uh, because of her prowess in the classroom. And she was teaching young ladies at, at uh, women-only schools or young girl-only schools way before it was uh, kosher for lack of a better term, to be teaching women uh, in the classroom. And, and especially these schools were focusing on elite women's uh, scholastics. She was heralded for her ability to, uh, to teach and set up formats and cookie cutter schools all throughout Iceland. Uh, anyway, when they moved over to uh, North Dakota, she was, uh, she taught uh, all of her kids in a small cabin and uh, it's funny because all of her children grew up to be attorneys and lawyers and geologists and scientific people and in fact uh, getting back now let me get back to the music side of things Gupti Archer uh, was kind of resolved into uh, making money during doing small jobs wherever he could because of the farm was just not going to be a success so he was helping out with small jobs and odd jobs in town and they did have some livestock and and he tried to make that work but he was the musician uh, he played a concertina small accordion and uh, he also played a, a pump organ which we have we have both of his instruments we have the pump organ in our living room and I have his concertina downstairs up in, in the original wooden case that he had it in what's a concertina it's an accordion oh okay but uh, instead of keyboard keys like a piano or something like an accordion has it has buttons oh so it's a little bit different to play okay um, but anyway he was 
he was the entertainment for the for the dances and the wedding dances and uh, a lot of the church music uh, Gupta Yarter provided. He was a jovial, good-natured guy, and uh, Goodrun was uh, the teacher. In fact, uh, when Goodrun passed away, uh, and word got to Iceland that she had uh, passed on, all the flags in the country were at half mast for two days. Oh, wow. When when she passed away, that's how renowned she was for her educational skills, and so that passed down to my grandfather Einar, who was played guitar and sang songs like "You Are My Sunshine" and and uh, kind of midwestern 1920s through 1940s cowboy songs. He had a guitar and uh, was very good at picking the guitar. Um, and so I think that's kind of where Dad and Joni, uh, my aunt, and my Aunt Linda all were very musical. Uh, they all picked it up from the Icelandic uh, side and, and the Norwegian side. Grandma Helen, was Einar's wife, was very musical as well. So uh, Dad carried, it, carried his music on into polkas. He was uh, he was a tuba player and damned proud to be a tuba player. One of the funniest things I ever ever remember seeing was uh, Grandpa was they were mom and dad were in Duluth and assisted living at the time. Mom had just had knee surgery, and she was in another assisted living facility recovering from her surgery. And Dad had uh, somehow snuck his tuba over to this facility. I don't know how you sneak a tuba anywhere, but but he had uh, snuck his tuba into uh, the, the uh, chapel of the assisted living facility where they were having a, a church service. And uh, they had a keyboard player and a flautist who was playing a solo. And the next thing I knew, is uh, your grandpa Lorne came walking up right beside the flutist with uh, his tuba wrapped around his shoulder and starts playing with her. It's not a great and, combo. <laughs> oh my God. And, you know, I'm sure she and this accompanist had worked this out, you know. Oh, yeah. Ad nauseum, they had their solo routine worked out, and all of a sudden this, this guy with the tuba comes and starts stealing the show at, in a church service nonetheless. Not to mention he's like six foot seven just yeah, strolling down. Well yeah and he was you know he was uh, he wasn't communicating that great at that time because he had had a stroke mm -hmm. but uh, you know bless him he was not ashamed at any at all to play that tuba regardless of where he was so that was uh, I'll never forget that it was hilarious. And Grandpa Lauren was more, was he more into polka music? Like as he got older, or was he always into polka music? Yeah, and after he retired, he just started writing polkas and waltzes and shottishes and, uh, to the tune of like 600 different songs. So, I mean, if, if polka ever becomes the, the music of choice uh, in society, you know, we're sitting on a gold mine here. He's got uh, 
none of his music have lyrics, but I don't know too many polkas that do. They're mostly instrumentals, but uh, yeah, he had a infantile band in the box kind of program that uh, when band in the box had first started, that's the one thing that always impressed me about Grandpa Lauren is he was always computer literate uh, till his last days. Uh, he was able to Skype and work his computer and make, make music with it. And um, what did Grandpa Lauren do again? Well, I guess Grandma Sandy and Grandpa Lauren, what did they both do for their occupations when you were growing up? Like, what was their main roles? Um, mother was a homemaker, uh, and Dad was an attorney at law and uh, invested in a lot of properties, uh, which made me into a lawn mowing conglomerate. Uh, so I, I made pretty good money at a young age uh, mowing. I worked hard, always uh, mowing lawns and working gardens for the church and whatnot. Quick interruption to introduce to you Sather Audio. Sather Audio created my intro music for this podcast and is my producer for this podcast. Andy Bjork is the man behind the scenes, and he knows how to do all the things, whether that has to do with a podcast theme, editing, production, mixing in any form. He is your guy. You can find him at Sather Audio on Instagram. That's S-A-T-H-E-R Audio on Instagram. Yeah, he was, uh, and he always had a shop away from home where uh, he had he started collecting cars when I was about ten, so antiques and uh, restoration projects, and and he was also a private pilot. So he he had a fair amount of things aside from his attorney work that uh, that he did. He was a state's attorney for the state of North Dakota and also a county attorney for a while. He was a city attorney for the city of Lakota. And uh, he was also uh, uh, worked for us with estates and family planning, things of that nature. And mom worked real hard around the house. She had a clean house always and uh, took the household engineering job very seriously, which uh, played rough for my brother and I because uh, we didn't really enjoy cleaning our rooms or making our beds or things of that nature. We would just as soon be outside playing ball or something. Sounds but, a lot like um, Mom mentioned Grandma Mary Ann was also a homework, homemaker. Was was Grandma Sandy like a little more strict about like causing a mess in the house or was it was she kind of more laid back like Mom is? Uh, no, she's like the anti-mom. <laughs> She was the exact opposite. But your mother had other things to focus on as well. She was yes. She was um, making money and and uh, doing much more outside of the home in a non-voluntary capacity than my mother. Like, and mom. you were kind of the well, I don't know if the term necessarily is homemaker, but I guess I mean, growing up, you were kind of daddy daycare over here. Mr. Mom. Mr. Mom. Yeah, and at a time when it wasn't, uh, I mean, I was a groundbreaker 
It is. It really is. Yeah. So it there was. Uh, we tried daycare for a while. And we tried uh, nannies for a while, and it just you know we just didn't trust the people that were coming. We were hiring. We just didn't have good luck with it. Yeah. And financially, it didn't make sense because uh, it was break even. So we decided that. Uh, if, if it was going to be a break-even proposal monetarily that we would just as soon have our children with one of us than with a complete stranger. I feel like it kind of worked out for you too with your production business at the time being more in the evenings and you could kind of watch the kids during the day, which I'm sure that, you know, you had a lot of other things you ended up doing too as you got older, city council, football coach, basketball coach, so many other things. But I feel like when we were all young, it kind of worked out where you were able to stay home with us and take care of us during the day and then do your um, production things on the side at night. Yeah, it was, uh, I think the toughest part of that was when we were very young and uh, your brothers, Chris and Ben, were born fairly close together and I was playing uh, in a band at that time. Uh, and that was very challenging because I'd get home at, you know, 2, 2.30, 3 o'clock in the morning. Hey, I'd have to unwind, you know, because you'd just been, yeah. just get done singing 40 songs and... and uh, You're all jazzed up. Yeah. <laughs> and... and uh, so I'd stay up and get the morning feeding done. Then your mom would wake up. I'd go to bed. Hopefully, the kids would sleep for another two or three hours. Hopefully. So I could, you know, get a couple hours of sleep in before they woke up. And then I'd wake up and spend time with them. Well, at first it was just Chris. And... Uh, and when Ben came along, it was very difficult because Chris was not old enough to help. So I had really double duty with Ben and Chris. Probably not the best for Ben because he was, uh, he had divided attention. Uh, but at the same time, uh, it was well worth it. I have no regrets. That was a big, uh, just having kids was a big, turning point in my life. It was, uh, I was at the stage of my life where I was about ready to move uh, to California and get a little more serious about music uh, because it just wasn't happening. I mean, there was a great music scene here, but it was more of a cover band music scene or a hip hop Prince type music scene, which I was not a part of. And, uh, the more glam rock or rock music scene was really out in California, Hollywood, Los Angeles. So I had a decision to make to become a musician and go for it or to be a father and go for it. And there really wasn't room to do both. So uh, I decided to go for being a dad and, and uh, have no regrets. It worked out wonderfully. I think the one thing that's cool too is like you still got to be a dad and still have music in your life and then it became a part of our life which is really cool too because you know if we didn't if we weren't surrounded by music growing up I don't know that 
you know, Ben would be off starting his, you know, he's in his country music career and Jake is such a talented musician. We're all talented musicians. I don't know that we would be there if we weren't surrounded by it growing up. So that is really cool that you could still kind of implement that in our family's lives. Well, it's good to hear you say that. I I think it's an important language to learn. And uh, you're right. You all do have that gift. And I think it's a more important gift than than we even realize because uh, just of the nature of the relaxation and uh, the natural therapy that can come from music. I think it's so important for our society that sometimes those of us that make it uh, take for granted what some of the listeners actually get out of it. Uh, I guess we're all listeners, but I I know as a musician, especially a recording musician, you know, by the end of the day, the last thing I want to do is turn on the radio and listen to music. Yeah, I can't I know for the longest time I just listened to talk radio because I'd hear a drum part in my head that I'd been recording all day ad nauseum and, and, uh, you got to give your ears a rest. Yeah, I feel like I've kind of, well, I've been the opposite because I'm more, I'm just starting this podcasting thing, but I listen, I like can't even listen to music anymore. It's like all I can do is listen to podcasts, but I think it's because I'm so newly into it and I feel like there is going to come a day where I'm like, I don't want to hear another podcast. I don't want to hear another person talking into a mic. And all I want to do is listen to music. So it's kind of funny how you get to that point where you're like, okay, I just need to tune that out. And it's funny because music is actually usually the thing that people go to to tune out everything else. Yeah, I remember uh, back in the day when I was, I've probably written, I don't know, you know, several hundred songs in my life. And and uh, I know that my favorite song was always the one that I'd just written or recorded and and uh, even from the days when I had my first four-track recording cassette machines to when I had my, well, now I've got a state-of-the-art Pro Tools system. And, but I know that I spent hours listening after I'd be done with the studio session because just going over and over and over and listening to the song and because they always had that option to re-sing something or to replay something or to remix something and you learn a lot but uh, you know as you are too I'm sure from learning and listening to your to your work which by the way I think you're very good at and and I hear that from uh, from a lot of other people who uh, I have turned on to your show that they really think you're a natural Thank you. At it. So you're picking up, you're picking up on the uh, the craft of all of this, and and I think that's what's neat about it is just as you write a song, and you craft that song into a format, and you're doing the same thing with your conversations, and and uh, you know you've never been short on words uh, as long as I've known you. And, I've got uh, plenty to say. <laughs> yeah, you do, and but. Uh, and and it comes from uh, it comes from your heart, and I think that whenever 
uh, let me let me take a step back and say that when it comes from your heart, people can tell, and uh, they. Uh, I think people, uh, most good people, respond to sincerity and heartfelt conversation, and uh, that's something that you provide with Vocal Vault that I think is very unique. Thank you, and I think. That's one thing I really like about having a podcast is I can sit down and have these open, honest, vulnerable, candid conversations, and I don't have to go back and edit out really anything. It's like you, you would sit back and you would listen, re-listen to what you just recorded over and over and over, and you could go in and re-record things, whereas I kind of just get to hit end record and you know send it on over to my producer and he puts in everything else and and then it's done and i think that that's kind of my favorite part about it is that i with a podcast space you don't i mean with this space specifically with it being open and raw i don't want to cut things out so it's kind of cool to be able to just like sit back and wait for the final product and be like this is what it is and this is why i'm doing it and it's not to make it sound perfect. And, you know, music is a different realm where you are producing um, a very specific sound. But it's cool to just be able to, like, throw it out there and be like, this is the conversation we had and we're not going to alter it. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> how, how long were you waiting for that? <laughs> well, I was wondering how long it was going to take you to finish. <laughs> so... Ugh. So one of the things that I wanted to talk about, and I, we honestly have not talked about this conversation, you and I at all, or what we were going to talk about today, but there was, I have given it some thought. And one of the things uh, that I'm glad, uh, I'm glad we brought you up and your, your brothers uh, the way we did, because I think that what was, your, what was what's your neighbor's name the drummer i forget his name i'm sorry no that's okay rob rob mm -hmm. i really enjoyed the conversation you had with rob uh, in the regard that you both addressed going into something uh and just saying yeah i know how to fucking do this and and but you were just kidding everybody you know, just going into it with a false sense of bravado, and and uh, uh, but yet knowing that you know I I need to work and I need to do something, and and it was interesting, and because that that resonated with a lot of people, and I think we all have those insecurities and those feelings, especially with a new job. Uh, you know, you, you, it takes a while to get your feet on the ground. And uh, frankly, before you do anything in life for the first time, mm -hmm. there are uh, insecurities and, uh, revolving around that until you take that first step and find out if you're stepping on a solid ground or thin air. So one of the things that in, in line of that trail of conversation or that thread that you and Rob had uh, I started thinking about the reverse uh, in that I think that the way I was brought up 
had a lot of restrictions on my ability as a young artist to express myself because I was brought up in the church. I was brought up in a very strict family to write lyric with shit, fuck, goddamn, mm -hmm. uh, was not uh, anything that I would consider or even, well, I would consider it, but I just wouldn't pen it uh, or release it. And, and uh, so uh, I've been paying attention to uh, a lot of conversations going on, especially on social media. And one of the things that I've obviously worked on is undoing a lot of those uh, mental restrictions that have been placed upon probably more people in my generation and generations before me. And, and maybe in some regard, we all do that to our children. And we just progress generation by generation uh, to undoing uh, some of the preconditioning that that our parents give us and they were had received from our grandparents and so forth and so on so undoing I think is an interesting subject and one that uh, I'm wondering if you've entertained at all if if you think that there are things in your upbringing that you've had to undo or uh, that you've con are considering that's actually a really good question. I don't necessarily think that there's anything that I was taught growing up that I want to undo. I think there's, um, I think one really cool thing about growing up the way we did is like kind of going back to like how you were Mr. Mom and, and mom was the one who, um, you know, the first, gosh, uh, 10 years of my life went to work every day. And, um, and then you started kind of entering into the business world, but I do, um, I feel like that was a really cool way to grow up because it showed me that I can go out and do those things. But then it was like, mom's mom was a homemaker. Your mom was a homemaker. But it showed me that there's a lot more out there that I can do. And it doesn't have to be sitting at, or not sitting at home. You're not sitting at home as a homemaker, but it didn't have to do with staying home. And um, that was something that I mean, this goes totally off of the whole record of undoing. It was something that I wanted to keep with me and keep with me as I grew older. And I saw how you supported mom. And, you know, there's a lot of like dynamics and relationships where, you know, if the woman is making the money and all these different things and that can kind of um, start to affect a relationship. And it never affected your guys's relationship that we saw as kids. And I thought that was really cool because you were able to support mom she was able to support you and what each of you did and it kind of became this like beautiful dynamic that you guys created um but in anything else i feel like growing up the way we did um you know we grew up pretty similar to, similarly to a lot of families and i think i if anything it just made me who i am and there's nothing about myself that i want to undo i think that one of the biggest differences between your generation and my generation is how we communicate our social skills. We as a generation were by and large taught that children were to be seen and not heard. And that is a quote verbatim. And I guarantee you that 
everyone my age has heard that uh, from from an adult at some point or another in their life more than once and there was a uh, <laughs> I'm not sure if reverence is the word for the adults back then or if there was just an inordinate fear that we had because there was other forms of punishment as well that were uh, much more accepted taking a belt to a kid I was spanked by principals and teachers <laughs> twice by a great elementary school principal in a vault <laughs> and, and it's funny but at the same time can you imagine that happening today no, and 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 uh, so we never. I would never have dreamed of criticizing constructively or otherwise anything that my parents had done to to raise me. Or uh, you know, I could argue with my mother uh, or my father and agree to disagree. But as far as disrespecting them on how they raised me or telling them what they should or shouldn't have done uh, would have been very taboo. And, and I see in, in the generation now that the social skills, first of all, I'm very concerned because of the phones. And I've, fall, I've fallen into that trap as well, mind you. Uh, I know my head is, especially now that I, I, I really can't work much right now, and uh, my head is in my phone a lot these days. Uh, but social skills have, are definitely something that concern me, and the lack of, I don't know if it's a lack of respect or just a forthcoming of uh, what you would like to call honesty to people of my generation but there there is a a willingness and an openness and a uh, an unabated will to criticize elders that never existed in my generation excuse the interruption but i just had to shout out my girl olivia garner she is the mastermind behind my logo for the podcast and a lot of my content creation. I found Olivia through another podcast that I listened to, and she made the design process so seamless. I was so grateful to be able to work with someone like her throughout this entire thing because, again, this is my first time ever doing anything like this, and she made it just feel so easy. If you have any graphic design needs of your own, she has her own website, oliviagarnerdesigns.com, or you can visit her at oliviagarnerdesigns on Instagram. So my father was a disciplinarian. So in, in invariably, once a week or so, I would do something to piss my mom off. <laughs> uh, and dad would come home. He'd hear about it, and I had to get the belt. And I usually got as many wax as I was old on my bare ass. And at, at the end of that, uh, I'd pull my pants up, 
usually with a tear in my eye and uh, give my dad a big hug. And that was the end of it. Uh, knowing full well that, that uh, uh, you know, we'd have another meeting next week. And, and Same time next week, Dad? <laughs> pretty much. And, uh, you know, I just had this way of getting under my mother's skin and enjoyed every minute of it. Uh, but that was, uh, you know, that was the end of it. I don't think that, uh, you know, I knew, Phil, I knew fully well what I did and why I did it. Well, yeah, maybe why I did it. And, and uh, but what was coming. Uh, so t for me anyway, it wasn't a surprise. It wasn't, uh, it, it was under a controlled environment. There were a couple of times where I did do things where uh, my father would have taken after me. Uh, and fortunately I was a lot faster than him. <laughs> Um, it's kind of funny when we're talking about this because I do remember um, when Jake and I were younger. Jake was in high school. I was in middle school. We would record CDs every now and then. And we were actually really into it for a while. And I remember there was, we always did covers and there was one song that says, praying to a God that I don't believe in. And I remember sending that to grandma and she was not happy about that lyric and that I sang it. And I thought about that when you were talking about um, writing music and all that, they, all of those things and how you had to be very kind of careful about what you wrote about. And I just remember it was like a cover of a song and she was just like, yeah, I, if I can give you any feedback, I really did not like that lyric. And I was just like, all right, Grandma, moving on. <laughs> yeah, that's a good example of some of the undoing that, uh, that I'm dealing with now. It's, yeah. it's, uh, and still, uh, I mean, as involved in uh, our church as I've been, I'm still cautious about that. Um, but at the same time, you know, it's real. But I think it, it's cool that you have that mindset of questioning things and looking at it and being like, hmm. I am kind of, you know, looking back. I think that's one thing my generation does a lot of is questioning. They question everything. Why were we brought up this way? Why is this like this? And just a lot of whys. How you've kind of like looked at um, some of those things and kind of question them and kind of go into that undoing mode. I think that if you're going to question something, it's really important that you listen to the answers. Yeah. And the one thing that, the one thing that I'm, see less and less is people with good listening skills. Um, that to me is much more important than good speaking skills. Mm -hmm. And it will get you farther in life. Uh, it's impossible to learn when your mouth is flapping. <laughs> but uh, when your ears are open and your mouth is shut, it's amazing the things that you can glean from society or just from everyday living. Uh, that uh, are informations that you can use to benefit yourself or to uh, to just grow as an individual. And I know that uh, when I come by my listening skills very naturally because I've uh, 
and oratory skills because I've got attorneys and doctors in my lineage. Uh, but listening is something that I've been compl complimented on time and again. Uh, as a council member, for sure, that was uh, more than anything, the, the skill that people appreciated is that I would listen and not only listen, but discern what was being said and respond to the intent and gist of what people were saying rather than responding with my intent and my gist. Um, part of governing, though, is, is combining those. You're elected to have the intent of the people and the gist of the people, but there's always a compromise, and that's really what governing is about, and, and that's what uh, relationships are about. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I know at the beginning of this episode, you kind of touched on, um, you know, there's like two two big things in your life that you've been pretty passionate about. And one of them is music and one of them is science. And science was something I feel like, and correct me if I'm wrong, is that something you kind of um, became a little bit more passionate about when you actually entered that world, um, when you worked in that setting? Yeah, I, I, I can't say that my passion was that type of science, but the business, um, getting to know scientists and scientific procedures and scientific logic um, and how scientists think. It's a very literal world and there is a great need for, especially when you're dealing with a customer-based scientific business, there's a big need for uh, communicative buffers between clientele and and the service providers or scientists. The scientist always assumes the customer is wrong, which <laughs> which is ass backwards from how any business model should work. I mean, I'm a retail manager. That is the exact opposite of our motto. <laughs> oh yeah, I know. And, uh, you know, I was a restaurant manager for, uh, as well, so mm -hmm. in my early formative years and formative years, but, but uh, yeah, it, it was really something that's needed. It is still needed. Even in the hospital realm, uh, a lot of times doctors have no business talking to their patients, but uh, also a lot of patients should not be talking to their doctors either. There has to be a social, <laughs> social buffer. Like you, <laughs> every now and then. Yeah, yeah well, I mean, but I, I was my own advocate. And of course. And when, you're, when you're in for as much as I was, uh, you know, you're in for a penny, you're in for a pound, and, and I had to... Uh, be my own advocate and a lot of times uh, you don't have as much leverage being a patient and an advocate as you do having a, a family member be your advocate it's it's very difficult and part of that is just that it it forces you to you know butt heads with people that are your caregivers mm -hmm. at times and uh, 
push a little harder than than uh, need be, but but. Uh, but you've learned a lot about that realm and that the medical side of things, and um, you know that does kind of go hand in hand with like your science experience um, that you had. As I mean, you were a business admin or the business manager, and but you saw. I mean, you were surrounded by scientists every day. And then, you know, you got to kind of go in and see the medical side of it as a patient. I mean, you were literally living it. So, I mean, it's kind of um, cool in a sense where you got to actually, like, experience that firsthand and see how they make these decisions. And, of course, and I wish it could have been under different circumstances, but you did get to kind of see a lot and experience a lot. And I feel like you have a whole newfound sense of knowledge when it comes to the medical side of things and um, you know, being your own advocate and there's so many people who end up in the hospital who can't even advocate for themselves and they don't have advocates and that's, you know, that's where we have to put our faith in the medical community and hope that they're just doing what's best for you and yeah. Yeah, it's, I learned way more about that than I ever intended to. Yeah, absolutely. But uh, yes, it's uh Tell you the neatest. Well, you know, I'm I'm really serious about, and, and I've to the point where I've started a rough outline. But the last three years for me have been just amazing. Uh, really? Yeah. I starting with getting sepsis, uh, losing the function of my liver and kidneys. Uh, being in and out of the hospital with encephalopathy, uh, which is a uh, something that happens when your liver starts to fail. Uh, there's an abundance of ammonia that builds up in your liver, and encephalopathy happens when the ammonia is released into your bloodstream and, and it hits your brain, and it basically shuts you down, almost as if you're having a stroke. You can't talk, you can't think. Mm -hmm. You can understand what people are saying, but you can't get anything out. And I had that, I had what, 12 or 13 episodes of that where I was taken, oh gosh, to, the, yeah. taken to the hospital. And Is that usually when we would talk about your hemoglobin levels? Is that correlated or is that different? Hemoglobin was more, uh, more of anemic uh, oh, okay. Th things like immune immune systems. And but I do know you had you've had quite a few blood transfusions. You've had oh my gosh, you've gone through the ringer. Yeah, the one thing that I'll say is, uh, you know, for everybody that's listening, I can't emphasize enough the importance of donating blood, donating uh, anything uh, that you can uh, uh, to. Uh, to help others further their lives. Mm -hmm. uh, heaven forbid something were to happen to anybody listening. Mm -hmm. The gift that, that one person can give, uh, I should say gifts, be it uh, a lung, a kidney, a uh, heart, a uh, uh, liver, uh, eyeballs, ears, eardrums. There are just so many profound gifts that can be uh, passed on 
and I wouldn't be here uh, mm -hmm. if it weren't for blood donors or uh, organ donors, just plain and simple. Uh, so please uh, give that some some heartfelt consideration as you're Absolutely. thinking about it because it's uh, it's huge and uh, uh, something I'm eternally grateful for. I've, uh, so along that, uh, yeah, I had uh, surgery for a liver and kidney transplant uh, last April. Was in the hospital for almost four months on and off. Um, it's something that I had to prepare for a good two years of my life. I had to lose a lot of weight, uh, get into good shape. But you did. How much weight did you lose? About 165 pounds. Yeah, you did. And um, have managed to keep all that weight off. Mm-hmm. Um, your occupational therapy, I just have to say, is one thing I want to um, commend you on is um, your, <clears throat> I just, just seeing you like up and about and like doing the dishes and, you know, making coffee and making your meals. Like I haven't gotten to see you do that for years. So it has been really, I mean, it's just, it is a blessing. And just to go off of what you said about donors and Paige and I talked about this in our episode together where, you know, she had a nephew who just had a heart transplant and you had just had a double transplant. And I just think it's, it is important to consider, um, being a donor, even if it's just a blood donation, whatever you can do to help, I think is amazing. And I know that some people can't and that's okay, but any help is much appreciated. But yeah, I just think that for you, the occupational therapy side of things has, um, has been awesome even just four months six or gosh what six months now since you've had your surgery yeah six months later you're just you're up and moving around and of course there's complications like you know you underwent a double transplant that is a scary surgery and you know you said you were preparing we were preparing for years and it's but no one can prepare you for the emotional um toll that kind of takes when you actually start that surgery especially for family members and um, everyone and just you yourself being the patient, no one can compare or prepare you for that. It's interesting because they, you know, it's profound when you start thinking about it because you know that you're wishing for a day that somebody else is going to die. Yeah. Uh, that in itself is really tough to to grasp mm -hmm. um, and you're also not sure if that day is ever going to happen I have B positive blood which is not very common very common but because it's not common uh, when it becomes available you're put at the top of that list and uh, uh, at one point right before I received my, I knew I was going to get a, a liver and a kidney because the phone calls just started coming in. Yeah. I feel like that was one of the hardest emotional tolls was, gosh, I, I want to say it was started about a, a month almost, or maybe a month and a half before you actually got 
your transplant, but I remember like you guys called me and you were like, okay, it's time to, you know, kind of start preparing. Like we've, we've gotten a call. It could be happening. And then it was like that ended up not working. And then I want to, I want to say there was one more situation where it was, there was one where I was, you were there in the hospital checked in. Yeah. And, uh, uh, no. Yeah. So, and yeah. that's heartbreaking for a family, for you as the patient. And yeah. I, I talk as family because I am the family member, so it's easy to talk about my experience. But it, the, I think the patient's experience is a lot more heavy. You're in it. And for us, like for family and for you to like have that be like, okay, you're this close. And then to have it be like, actually, no, it's not going to work out this time. Um, it's... It's kind of an emotional roller coaster, and then I want to say two weeks later, you were in, and mom called me and was like, they are starting the surgery in about an hour, and I was like, I was just, I didn't know what to do. I was like beside myself. It's like, because a double transplant surgery is no, is no joke. It's, you know, it can go any way, and... 16 and a half hours. 16 and a half hours. We had to wait for a call to say he's done. Three different teams of surgeons and nurses, and and uh, it was a total of 32 people involved in that surgical theater. That's just just amazing. So, yeah, that's uh, and should uh, we should I should uh, give credits to the uh, University of Minnesota who uh, my my renal and, and GI team there is just absolutely stellar and uh, yeah as you said there 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 were some complications but there isn't one liver or kidney transplant that is the same and nor did they ever make it out to, that it would be, you know, that, that it would be easy. Uh, in fact, they were kind of going out of their way to say, this is about as, this is going to be the most difficult thing you've ever gone through in your life. And Would you agree with that? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, the, my my biggest struggle was coming out of, uh, you know, I thought that all the bouts in the hospital with encephalopathy, I'd been hospitalized over the last three years probably 12 to 15 times. Yeah, and, I mean, I, I think I said in like episode one, I think the longest time, longest stint you were home for was maybe four months, maybe. Yeah, that sounds right. And... So uh, uh, the the most difficult thing was, and the, the craziest thing was when I first got sick with sepsis three years ago, and then the surgery. Uh, the surgery. Uh, all of a sudden, I was just in this dreamland, and uh, the the psychologically. Psychologically speaking, uh, there are filters, I think, when you're under the influence of whatever drugs I was under, uh, that put your uh, psychological protectors off duty. So 
things that are normally verboten in your dreams that your that your mind would protect you from are those those guards and those walls are down so anything goes and uh you know, I, my dreams went to some dark places. I woke, I, you know, I was trying to kill myself over and over and over in my dreams because I had written, somebody, some nurse uh, brought me an article in a newspaper that said your mom was dead and she had no legs. She died and that I didn't have any legs. This was a part of your nightmare yeah this is my this is my this is my dream wow uh while i'm i don't know if this was a coma dream or a surgery dream i don't know uh so i woke up and i had been dreaming i was in this chair in the back of this huge airplane and this is how dark it gets uh there was a bunch of surgeons, doctors, nurses, all dressed in white in the front of this huge transport, like an Air Force transport plane. And I was in the back in a cage in this big metal chair, and I'm chained to the chair. And there are two levers to my left. One of them is to release the chains, and the other one is to commit suicide to kill myself. And you couldn't get to the suicide lever until you got the chains off. So try and try and try. I'm trying and trying and trying. Could not get to it. This nurse brings back an article. Again, another newspaper article. And it's about me. And this is so strange. I don't know how to explain it psychologically but it turns out that oh by the way I'm on a flight to the University of Minnesota in China <laughs> and and I'm going to have surgery but uh, and for the life of me when I did come out of surgery I I yelled and argued with the doctors and nurses that I, would, I knew I was in China and they don't try and fool me and tell me I'm in Minnesota. You actually did that? Yeah. Wow. I, I, I absolutely was right. And, and why was I in China and not in Minnesota? And prove to me that I'm in Minnesota because I'm looking out the window and I don't, all I see is China. Mm. And uh, anyway, this article that the nurse brings me is... An article saying that I am taboo because in my genealogy they found that I have mated with a wolf or a fox. What? And that, and that in my genealogy they had found DNA and somehow either I grew up with a wolf pack or a fox pack. <laughs> And I was uh, an so you alpha, were like part I'm, wolf, part I'm fox. I'm an alpha male. Oh my god! But I'm a dude. <laughs> <laughs> and, You're the only human in the pack. Yeah, but the stigma. And so then this nurse went up to the doctors, and this article is passing around, and they're all looking back at me like, "What a freak!" 
Oh. And I'm looking out, and then I see in the clouds this flowing foxtail like the sunset is making. And this fox is, a, is just beautiful sunset fox uh, and the horizon. So somehow this dream came back to me about three weeks after I am, I'm out of the hospital, I'm out of my coma, and I've been transferred over to the recovery side of the Mississippi which is on the west side, West Bank, Riverside facility. And I wake up early in the morning and I hear a bunch of nurses and doctors laughing outside of my room. And I'm thinking, shit, they got a hold of that article. And now they know, and it's passing through this whole place that I'm and this was you, like you weren't really thinking, you were like that, lucidly oh, thinking this. Is, this is me, and I'm, that's the thing, and this is where I'm, I'm getting to the, the, the biggest problem that I had, was, was getting my feet and my head on top of my shoulders and getting my feet back on the ground. So I couldn't, I couldn't recover. I could not recover until my thought process was a sane process and this this was crazy and uh so i thought they were all laughing at me and that they all were just finding out that i was the wolf dude and uh a terrible stigma you know f for me it was just horrible and the fact that, that they'd be treating me so it it became a me versus them kind of mentality and I don't know how long that stayed with me. Probably a good four to five weeks into my recovery. And it's interesting because I prayed. That's one thing I have to say is every time that I prayed. And I don't pray for myself very often. Uh, if I pray for myself, it's usually asking God to guide me. It's not for something for me. It's for him to to help me find the path and to I can do the most or benefit society the most, I guess. So it was uh it was very rare that I prayed for an outcome for myself and that at this particular evening I did. And I prayed that I would get my sanity. And there was a Bible in the nightstand, and I, I started reading the Bible. And I woke up the next morning, and it was the first day where I just felt alert. And my prayer had been answered. And this happened several times through my recovery where I felt that I had a direct answer. Was it, were it something that was directly done through me or to me or through the actions and typically it was the actions of somebody else, a nurse or a doctor, but there were always unbelievable, irrefutable evidences that my prayers or other people's prayers had been heard and I totally believe in the power of prayer. 
But uh, yeah, those dreams were crazy. The, uh, the sepsis dreams at first were crazy because I was seeing clocks go backwards. And literally, I mean, that clock hand was going backwards or it was staying the same and not moving. And uh, a lot of paranoia with it. Uh, I thought that everybody had forgotten about me mm-hmm. and that nobody was coming to visit only to find out months later that somebody was with me 24 hours a day. Yeah, well, and also, um, I remember when you first came out of surgery, you could only have one designated visitor. Right. And that was hard because, like, so none of us could visit. And then that was just during, like, the COVID era. But, you know, you had been in the hospital even before then. And we, you know, we all always kind of, at first, we all were always there. And then we kind of took turns. And then... COVID hit and that kind of went out the window but that I can't imagine feeling that way of like you don't have any support system but um come to find out a lot of it can be induced from like these dreams that you're having or even medications that they're giving you I think can trigger a lot of that and your dreams yeah it's been a like I said an extremely profound experience and uh I've learned a lot I've learned a lot about myself I've been at my lowest and my best, sometimes within 24 hours of each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thanks. This was a nice conversation. And uh, maybe we'll do this again sometime, eh? Absolutely. I'd love to have you back. When I said my dad had crazy dreams, I meant it. Those dreams were insane. I can't even imagine having those and how scary that must be to not be able to differentiate like reality and dreaming in some of those situations. But um, he's home and he's doing well. Um, you know, he's still in the recovery stages from his double transplant surgery he had back in April. But just even the fact that he was able to hop on a podcast with me and chat for about an hour and, you know, still have some energy. Um, that was pretty awesome. So I'm, it's been so good to see my dad doing better. And like I mentioned at the beginning of this episode, I can't wait to just, you know, be able to go back and listen to these episodes with family members um, in the future at some point. I think that that's really special to have these and to be able to hold on to them. Um, But if you were able to just take anything away or if you enjoyed what you heard today, feel free to share this episode with a friend. Um, You can share it through Instagram, through a message, um, whatever feels right to you. We also appreciate all uh, ratings and reviews on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Um, Written reviews are very helpful for our algorithm and getting this podcast out there as I would like to reach more and more people. So um, I encourage you to leave a rating and a review and hit the follow or subscribe button on either Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Well, that's all I have for you guys today. And I, again, appreciate you so much for letting me take a week off. And I can't wait to continue to bring you guys some more content. And we will see you next Wednesday.